this week, or maybe they're having their own babies, um, things happen really quickly. Change is something that has well become normal for us. Look, we're having church in the front yard. Um, and so today we're going to just spend a short message, we're going to spend a short time talking about change. Uh, what does the Bible say about change? How do we relate to change? How do we take advantage of it for the Lord's sake? So first let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're very thankful to you because you are the changeless one and we can come to you as our standard and know that you are always faithful and you always remain the same. Lord, change can be very scary, change, but we also know change has a purpose. And so we just pray that as we open your word, that you would open our eyes to your truth and that because of this, we would walk out more equipped to be shining your light. In Jesus' name, amen. So the main point of the message, just like to say it right up front so we don't have to have any guessing, is that we have been changed in order to bring change around us. We have been changed in order to bring change. If we're honest with ourselves, change is a very difficult thing. However, change is inevitable. It happens all the time, we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. So we're meeting in the front yard, we're doing what we can. Um, the nation's going through different things, and has been. We have change going around us all the time. Um, and it's difficult when you really are honest with yourself. Change is uncomfortable. In fact, in some school cases that we ourselves may have been in, or we know people who are in, there may be uh, situations that we're in which are even unhealthy. Uh, dysfunctional, abusive, and say, why? Why do they, why do these people not change? Why do I not change? And very often, it's because familiar dysfunction feels safer than unfamiliar change. Sometimes that change is scarier because we have nothing, we don't even know what to expect. Um, and even the way we relate to time. As I was saying, my daughter's already three years old, these things surprise us. Over 60 years ago, C.S. Lewis said, we are so little reconciled to time that we are even astonished at it. How he's grown, we explain. How time flies. As though the universal form of our experience were again and again a novelty. It's as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised at the wetness of water. And that would be strange indeed, unless, of course, the fish were destined to become, one day, a land animal. And I think that C.S. Lewis is hitting the truth there that we need to recognize. Our destiny is not for this changing kindness. Our destiny is for eternity. That's what we are built for. In fact, Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Whether we recognize it or not, save the lost, we have eternity to look forward to. The question is, are you looking forward to it or not? Is it in heaven or is it in hell? But even let's we even need to keep in mind. Yeah, you can throw it on the screen. Throw this one on the screen? Yes, please. Both, both. Both of them. Oh, okay. Sorry. How's that second? Keep going. Um not only does our future, our destiny, hold eternity, but we need to recognize that we are created in the image of God who is timeless, who is unchanging. And so I believe that the reason change is so difficult, I'm in the counselor,
My job is to help people change. I believe why change is so difficult is because we were never created for it in the first place. Eden was not a place where change was really supposed to be happening, and we were made in the image of God, who was changeless. Uh, Genesis one twenty seven says that we were made in His image. In Malachi three six, God says, "I, the Lord, do not change." You don't have to interpret that in any other way. There it is. I, the Lord, do not change. What aspects of God does not change? Well, the short answer is every aspect because He's God. But I just picked a few of them out because it's something that's pertinent to this message and uh, our situation right now. Um, God's word does not change. Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. His mind does not change. Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? That's a big truck. <laughs> his will does not change. Psalm 33, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. His relationships, his faithfulness and his relationships don't change. Psalm 119, your faithfulness endures to all generations. His word, his mind, his will. His faithfulness and his relationships, none of those things change. And we are created in his image to not change in those ways as well. However, change happens. Turn with me if you have your Bibles, quick, to Genesis 3. This is the fall, and that is the change. I just want to pick out a couple of verses here to look at, um, keeping in mind God's word, his mind, his will, and his faithfulness and relationships, and us being created in his image. Um, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. Skip a little bit. He said, and he said, indeed, to Eve, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Not quite right, Eve. Then the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So right there, the word of God is beginning to be changed. It hasn't really changed. Their interpretation of it changed. There's the problem. What happens? Well, verse six, the woman saw the tree. It was good for food. It was a delight for the eyes that the tree was desirable to make one wise so she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now their mind has been changed. They no longer make decisions based on the changeless, perfect word of God, but now based on experience. And then, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So now they're hiding. Their will has been changed. Their conscience has been corrupted. Now they're guilty. They're hiding from God. And then what do they do? Um, God said, where are you? <clears throat> Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Yes, I have sinned. Forgive me, God. Wonder what would have happened if he said that. Instead, he says, The woman, points blame, who you gave me, even blames God, to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Relationships are now destroyed. Blaming everybody else around you, not taking any responsibility. The will has been corrupted, the mind has been corrupted, and now relationships and faithfulness has been corrupted. All the way to the last two verses of the chapter, therefore the Lord sent Adam out from the garden of Eden, to cult- well, sent them out, to, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. That relationship with God was destroyed and they could not go back into the garden. It's been guarded. Because of their sin, they can't go in. So you see how the fall corrupted their minds, their will, and the faithful relationships that was created in the image of God. The only thing that truly wasn't corrupted, though they tried to twist it, was the word of God. And that's proven in that God still spoke and it happens. And then for millennium, this is the problem, right? For millennium, what do we do to get back to God? And the only way this can happen is the changeless word of God. John 1 tells us the word was with God, the word was God, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus himself is the word of God. Therefore, Jesus being fully God does not change. And even Hebrews 13 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then what did he do? 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us what people call the great exchange. Jesus died on the cross for us. It says that God made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. That's the great exchange. The sinless, righteous one took on our sin and right and, and sinfulness so that we might have the righteousness of God in him exchanged. And now we have an opportunity to have changed and redeemed minds. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our wills, Mark 8, Jesus says, if any of you, uh, if any are to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Your will must be changed. Our relationships, Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. His faithfulness, his relationships, our relationships, rather, our faithfulness has been redeemed. And the rest of Philippians 2 discusses what that looks like. Just going to get out my phone here so I don't go over time. Good, we're doing all right. So now, the amazing thing is to see the redemption of the humankind in this. Romans 8.29 says that we are now conformed into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. We had the image in Eden. We marred the image in the fall. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross to redeem that image. And now we have an opportunity to live out and work out that image, which has been placed back inside of us because Christ lives within us as believers. Um, and that word conformed to his image is actually the same word in the Greek as used in be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Greek, it's morphe. And there's two different words, two different words that we translate change. One is morphe, one is schema. The word morphe is what we get metamorphosis from. And I'm going to get into that in a second. And the other one is schema. A metamorphosis is an inward, true inward change that works itself out. A schema is putting on a scheme or a mask. So the example I've heard Jack give once was um, like a clown. A person will paint his face, paint a smile on his face, act silly. But internally, the person who's playing that clown might be going through a divorce or grieving the death of somebody might be a sad person. But they want to convince you that they're happy. So they'll paint that face on, that permanent smile. But it's not true. That's a scheme. Metamorphosis is the inside is changing the outside. Um, biblically speaking, the difference is 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, as do the workers of iniquity. He puts it on to fool you. The opposite of that is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That same, those same Greek words are used. This one is Morphe. He was transfigured. He actually is the source of light. And they couldn't even look at him. It was so bright. So the change in Christ is Morphe. The change that Satan wants us to do is schema. Just put that on, whatever. Look the part. Make everybody think you're happy. And when you think of metamorphosis, you probably think of butterflies. I had one fly over my face before when I was sitting over there. So they're around. But it's really interesting to think about them because God gave them to us as an example. So we're going to sit for a second and talk about butterflies. When a caterpillar enters a chrysalis, it's really interesting. I don't know how much you've ever studied into this. When a caterpillar goes into a chrysalis, it literally dies in there. If you were to cut open a chrysalis at the right, at the right time, soup comes out. It is actually nothing left to it. It digests itself. It's so gross. But that's what it does. And it even changes its genetic code, or God changes its genetic code in there. It becomes a totally, absolutely different creation. When it comes out as a butterfly, it's different. The old things have truly gone away. Behold, all things have become new. And that butterfly can never become a caterpillar again. How is it different? Well, the obvious one is it's got wings. A butterfly can go where caterpillars can't even dream of going. A caterpillar, honestly, if it was born over here on this post, probably in its lifetime doesn't go any farther than this front porch. They really don't travel far at all. They just look for leaves and eat, 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 eat. That's all they do. A butterfly, as you know, flies all over the place. But if, it's, if you see like one of those orange ones, the monarch butterflies, the ones you see this summer will fly to Mexico this winter. They all go that far. I've never even been to Mexico. That's how far they go. It's just amazing. They can go where caterpillars can't even dream of. Um, butterflies have a brand new eye, brand new eye structure. That's much more sophisticated. They can see what caterpillars can't see. They've got a brand new mouth. They eat what caterpillars can't eat. And in fact, they can't eat what caterpillars feed on. It's not good for them anymore. It would actually kill them if they tried it. It's not meant for them. Um, and with that in mind, butterflies, God has also designed something in a butterfly in this antenna that as soon as it flies near or lands on a flower, it can tell if there's nectar in it or not. 
And if not, it'll just fly to the next one. It doesn't waste any time on empty flowers. It redeems the time. Um, and also they're social. You've heard people say a social butterfly. There actually is truth to that. Caterpillars don't relate to other caterpillars. They just eat and are selfish. That's all I would think about is getting fat. As opposed to butterflies, which again, have something that God has designed in them where they can recognize the wing beats of other butterflies of the same species. That's crazy to me. And so they know which ones they can mate with. And even in the, and when it starts getting chilly, they find other butterflies of the same species and clump together and keep each other warm. They're very relational. Caterpillars are not. Their purpose is different. God has designed them to pollinate flowers and our vegetables and fruit, our food, and to procreate. Caterpillars are selfish. It's just about eating. The only thing butterflies and caterpillars have in common, the only thing they have in common is they have common enemies. The same birds, the same lizards, the same uh, spiders like to eat caterpillars and butterflies. They just like to eat whatever. Do you hear all this and see the, con- the um, comparison with what God has made in us? We have the same enemies. All human beings have the same enemies. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they want to destroy anybody because we're all made in the image of God, whether we recognize that or not. However, as Christians, recognize this spiritually speaking. We, have, we can see what others can't see. We have a different food, and the food of the world doesn't nourish us anymore. In fact, it'll kill us. We have an ability to discern. We have an ability to relate in ways that others can't. We actually have brothers and sisters in Christ around us right now, and some of those relationships are even better and deeper than our own blood relationships. We have a different purpose than we did when we were lost. This is how God has made us. We are a new creature in Christ. The only difference between us and that butterfly is we look the same. When we are saved, it looks the same on the outward surface. It's an inward change that we need to work out. And as that's worked out, the world will see us. And it says in First Peter, people will ask, be ready with an answer in season and out of season. For when people ask for the hope that is within you, an answer with, um, with meekness and gentleness. Recognize that. People should see the difference in us because we have been changed inside. And in the full circle of this redemption in 1 John 3, it says that when he comes, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. When we are in eternity and have been face to face with him, we also will be in our glorified bodies. So that complete circle of regeneration will happen. Made in his image, having constant communion with him, marring that image, Christ himself coming down and redeeming us. Now we have an opportunity to work out that image and then it'll be regained again in heaven fully. Isn't that amazing? That's the story of redemption right there. That is change. That is a crazy change that this world, no matter what they do, can never grasp. But with that in mind, the world God has set eternity in the hearts of men, of people, all mankind. Everybody is longing for something greater than what they have. So as we relate to change going on in the world around us, let's recognize a few things. Um, First off, recognize that, as we mentioned before, the image has been marred. So the minds of the world, and we are the same with our sinful nature, and we were the same before salvation. Minds are corrupt. Romans 1 is given over to a a debased mind. And also, those who are practicing it, they're celebrated. 
It's not like, oh, that's not the right thing. It's celebrated. Yes, do this. It doesn't matter what morals say or what God says. The will has been changed. There is no longer an objective truth, but if it feels good, just do it. There's no reason to have self-control. Ephesians 2 tells us um, we too were in the same way, um, living in the desires of the flesh and indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, as were the rest. Our will, our truth, our conscience, totally seared. And then our relationships. Second Timothy 3 starts out, um, Paul says to Timothy, realize that in the last days, difficult times will come. Why? Listen, to, it's a huge list after this of all the things that will happen. Listen to the first few, though. For men will be lovers of self. There's the foundation. Lovers of money. Boastful. Arrogant. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, etc., etc. It begins with selfishness. I'm number one. If I've got some left over, you can have a little bit because I want to be benevolent towards you. That's the way the world works. And if we recognize it, like in Ephesians 2, we too were the same way before salvation. And we too, with our sinful nature that we still fight against, have the tendency towards that. But we need to be changed. To recognize that that is not what Christ died for. And also recognize that as the world searches for change... They will do anything they can to try to redeem, in man's ways, their mind, their will, their relationships. Just think about the way that the world has done this in the past few years. I mean, even just think about how the longing that people have for relationships and have faithfulness. They'll put People will put, all, and all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have put some crazy things on social media because it's social media. So can you like me for who I am? Let me put out what I want you to see. And that's a schema. Do you see that? I will show you what I want you to see, but you don't really have to get to my heart. That's the opposite of morphe. That's the opposite of metamorphosis there. However, this is just the world looking for something greater and you have that something greater. Just as much as every caterpillar has the potential to become a butterfly, Every person we come across has the potential to become a child of the living God, a worshiper of God, a worshiper of Christ. We don't know who and who not, but we have an opportunity to share that truth with them. 2 Corinthians, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. I already quoted one verse from this passage, but we're going to read the whole chunk and then close out. 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Not will become. He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. 
he made Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have been changed in order to bring change to those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have an opportunity to share the truth, to recognize that we have been changed, to recognize you as the only one who can change us. Thank you for that, Lord. And we can never find truth or peace or any good relationships outside of that, Lord. Anything that's long-lasting. So we love you. We thank you for changing us, for being the changer. May we live in that truth in Christ's name. Amen.